Father God, we continue to recognize in our prayers that you're the one who is sovereign, not we ourselves. We do not pull your strings like some uh, marionette might, um, thinking that uh, we can control you by our prayers, our words, uh, or anything uh, in that way. You are the one who is sovereign, and yet you've asked us to come boldly to the throne of grace with thanksgiving. And uh, and then after Thanksgiving to offer up our requests. So, Father, we do that at this time. We're thanking you for all things. We're thanking you for managing uh, the affairs of this world and our affairs. We're thankful that there is a plan being accomplished, and it's not Satan's, although he has allowed considerable liberties. We know that well. But, uh, Father, we know that your plan will be accomplished in your way and in your time. Father, I am aware of um, many needs uh, expressed here and others that, that we know about individually and personally. And, and we just would, would keep uh, them all, Father, uh, in mind. We're thankful that you continue to remind us of... Uh, of those individuals and their needs as time passes, and uh, may we never forget them. Uh, one need that uh, just had brought to my mind was uh, was Tom, Tom and his wife Verna, who are on a cruise to Bermuda at this present time. Father, please keep them safe. Bless Tom, who does much reading on these on these uh, ships, and uh, and I know what he's reading, Father, and, be, and I pray that it would be a great blessing to him spiritually. So, Father, we would ask for Tom and Verna. Uh, also, Ted, who uh, we're assuming is working out details regarding uh, a planned move to Portland, Oregon, and where most of his family lives. And so, Father, I pray for him and for his son. We've been missing them for a while here. Pray for our brother Roy with his uh, need for doctors who truly are professional and uh, who, who might even be used by you, Father, to to um, bring relief to Roy uh, in his several health uh, struggles. Father, I pray for his friend Kara that uh, her needs, which are uh, many, would would be met, but spiritually, Father, that she would be drawn to yourself in saving faith, as that does seem to be the need of her heart. So, Father, we would commit her to you. Father, I pray for Charlie. Uh, we're thankful, uh, and we know that uh, the treatments, I believe radiation treatments that he's been receiving have been making a difference. Father, I just pray that that would continue and uh, that he would regain the ability to swallow better as a result. And I pray that he and May would have uh, special times together these days as Charlie is set aside by this uh, serious uh, health issue. Pray for Linda's work, Father, that you'd continue to give her strength and endurance for that. We pray, Father, for uh, 
the couple we met in uh, in Vermont. May they be taught your truth uh, in this uh, church environment where they have been fellowshipping. And I pray, Father, that they be drawn to yourself and that your word of grace would reach unto them and that they would be receiving it with gladness. Pray for Tim rowing in Boston today and for safety there and and also for a safe travel as Charlie and Tim uh, drive back home. And Father, we pray for our nation uh, in such a turmoil with an election uh, coming up a little over one year away only and uh, with uh, the sides uh, being more clearly drawn here uh, day by day. I pray, Father, that our nation would be delivered from the evil one and his influences. I pray that many would take a stand for truth. I pray, Father, that uh, in in our federal government and also in state and local, that you would raise up those who do care about true justice and uh, that that they wouldn't be so easily led astray by lies and uh, deceit, which is so common there in those high places, as it, as it were. Places of power, places of money and privilege. Father, I just pray that uh, you would uh, overwhelm our leaders with a sense of, of your glory and your power and our place uh, in this world that you created for us. Father, I pray for our president that you encourage him and those that stand with him and that we give him great wisdom for these most difficult decisions that always need to be made. Father, I pray for our group now as we meet together and open your word and the word of uh, truth here in Philippians. I pray that it would be special and a blessing for our hearts. And we would uh, thank you, Father, in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I feel like we're moving too quickly through Philippians, but still, <laughs> though we could finish the second chapter today um, by moving even more quickly, I I pray that uh, the decision not to do that will be a blessing to you. Uh, we will be finishing the second chapter, Lord willing, next time we meet. Well, Paul's letter to the Philippians has wonderful messages for us, doesn't it? It's very encouraging to see how God worked uh, back there at that time and how he used a number of people in a very special way in the lives of believers then, and he still does, of course, because their examples uh, loom large, as it were, uh, examples of faith and examples of sacrifice that that faith led them to. Remember the great exhortation there in chapter 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And we, we saw what that led to as Paul used that then to underscore very practical instruction that he gives immediately later in verses uh, 6 through 11. So, 
the mind of Christ or the mindset, the, the way of thinking uh, of Christ, when he was still in heaven's glory, contemplating the incarnation, that that mode of thinking changes us when we willingly enter into it ourselves. And that's, of course, the whole point of this section of this letter. If we have the mind of Christ, we'll be strongly motivated to live as Paul outlined there. And uh, today I'd like to continue with that. We'll, we'll go from verses 12 through 16 quickly, just as a review, and then we'll, we'll get on with uh, verses following that. But I don't want to just skip over this without a little bit of review, because uh, last time we, we did look at this verse, which I think these two verses, 12 and 13, that are so uh, critically important here. And then the few verses following, I should take the time to read it all. But instead, verse 12 says, work out your own salvation. Then he adds with fear and trembling. Uh, many uh, shy away from these words for different reasons. Some because of the focus on works there, or so they might think, <laughs> the focus on works, although he doesn't exactly uh, state it that way, does he? But uh, others shy away from it because of the words fear and trembling. As if somehow that's... Uh, incompatible with resting in the Lord with his joy and peace. It's not incompatible, of course. So uh, Paul correctly exhorts the believers in Philippi to work out, work it out. They possess it. Now the issue is working it out, right? This salvation, this uh, eternal salvation that, of course, is uh, by grace, not works, and full of glory, right? All based on the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, the shedding of his blood, uh, and then ultimately, uh, after three days, the glorious resurrection from the dead, right? And what he's really saying is that if, if we only could understand the magnitude of our salvation, we would, uh, with fear and trembling, be in awe, really, of what? Of what the next verse says. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And so that changes uh, everything in our lives. The murmurings and disputings uh, of two women in particular that are singled out here in this letter uh, will just disappear into uh, the the background as uh, those believers become blameless, harmless, he says, verse 15, without rebuke, the sons of God living in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation and shining as lights while holding forth the word of life, holding forth the word of life. What a blessing. So, that's how salvation works and uh, how, how that is um, brought forth as God works uh, in us, both to will and to do. I mean, think of that. The desire to live in newness of life and to bear fruit comes from God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. It comes from God. 
we've been given new natures at the point of salvation, right? That new nature is a source of desires. The old nature is a source of desires too, but they're not good. But the new nature is a source of desires that are godly, right? And so he says, it is God that works in you to will. Okay, that's the desiring of the new nature. And to do, that's the performing uh, of that which is according to his good pleasure. So that's uh, really wonderful indeed there. And that we can be part of what God is doing then. And the way to do it, he says, uh, focuses on, it's not limited to, but it focuses on the word of life, as verse 16 says. And Paul is thinking ahead when he makes this uh, exhortation. He's thinking ahead. (laughs) Remember, his whole life is focused on the glory of God. So he's thinking ahead to what he calls here the day of Christ, right? He says, that I may rejoice. So he says to the Philippians, Oh, may this be true for you as it has been for me. And if it is true for you, then I will rejoice in the day of Christ that I had not run in vain, neither labored in vain. With you, Philippians, in other words, uh, that you have borne fruit. That's his great desire. This fruit uh, is not good works as social justice is defining it or liberal Christianity or something like that, right? It's something entirely different. It, it's the life which is on the, the heavenly plane manifested here in this world. Okay, so this is what happens when our minds are transformed and uh, we have the mind of Christ in all things. <clears throat> and that enables our light to shine and uh, our lives then reflect uh, the very, very grace of God and the fullness found there, right? Okay, so let's let's go ahead. Uh, we're now moving ahead uh, in verses 17 through 24. First of all, our rejoicing together is always appropriate. <laughs> That's verses 17 and 18. But our joy on this earth is often challenged. That's verse 19. Timothy's example of self-sacrifice is to be ours also. Verses 20 through 22. And then, take every opportunity for fellowship with the brethren. Verses 23 and 24. So that's, uh, I think, uh, what Paul is writing here and the main uh, themes of what he writes. So let's start out there with uh, our rejoicing together is always appropriate. Notice there's a strong focus here on believers being together, not all isolated somewhere, but getting together, being together, taking every opportunity, in other words. And that means sacrifice. You can't take opportunities to be together with those of like precious faith and faith unless you sacrifice other things. Okay, so that's uh, what we find to start with here. And uh, so uh, reading verses 17 and 18 then, Patty, would you please read that for us? Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. 
For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Thank you. So what was Paul's expectation and hope? Well, you remember from chapter 1, verse 20, his hope was that Christ would be magnified in his body, whether it be by life or by death. Okay, so Paul isn't sure how all will develop for him in Rome. Uh, He has some level of confidence uh, we see here, and we'll see even more in the next couple of verses, right? But he's not sure. I don't think it's been revealed to him that he will be released, but he's sure hopeful of that. But nevertheless, whether he is or is not, he's confident in the Lord God and what the Lord's working out, right? And also, he is confident about something else. He's confident about how the Philippian believers will respond to this letter. It says here, um, If I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do you joy and rejoice with me. Okay, he has received a letter uh, and uh, and through other means he knows. I mean, Epaphroditus has come to update him on what's happening in Philippi, but... um, It's not all good, right? There are issues there that have led Paul to write the letter in the first place. But he's pretty sure they're going to respond to this letter. As he indicates here, he says, you do rejoice and you rejoice together with me, (laughs) even if I'm sacrificed. I mean, that's really the message here, right? So Paul's expecting that this letter to them will be met with a very positive response, that his example, in other words, will be uh, meaningful, will have consequence in the lives of the, the Philippian believers. I think that's a pretty powerful statement. So rejoicing together <clears throat> that the Lord's hand is upon us, And the Lord is at work, even if things are not going the way we asked or desired, right? That's really the point of this, to always rejoice together. Then he goes on in verse 19 to speak of the challenges. There are challenges. Uh, Sometimes they're small. From the point of view of some persons, they may be really large from the point of view of someone else. And we'll see that right here in verse 19. Roy, would you please read verse 19 for us? But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. Okay, now, I said that our joys on this earth are often challenged. Well, you may not even see that there in that verse, but it is there. Timothy was a great benefit to Paul when he was imprisoned in Rome. He is now planning on sending Timothy back to Philippi. And the loss to Paul of that is very great. I don't think we can even imagine how great it is going to be. And yet Paul is willing to send him to Philippi. But 
he's going to hold off, as we're going to see here. He's not going to send them immediately. So there's going to be challenges to joy, and this is all wrapped up in Paul's circumstance there. He doesn't know how he's going to be judged by Caesar, okay? He, he doesn't know how the Roman courts will respond. He's been waiting some time, it seems, right? Uh, there have been delays there in that all being accomplished. And so all of that's happening here. Also, uh, he, he wants to know how they will respond to this letter, right? Uh, and so he says that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So he he wants to know, he wants Timothy to find out and get back to him as to how this letter is going to be received. Now, these things might, might seem like really small things to you. Like, how can this even be important? Well, they didn't have instant messaging. They didn't have phones. They didn't have email. They didn't have any of these things. It took months and months to travel from one place to another. I mean, imagine if you're praying for some group of believers that you dearly love. You know there are great issues and challenges, right? And you're praying for them often throughout the day and thinking about how it might be six months or a year before you even learn anything further, right, and uh, the sorrow that may be building in your heart over all of that. So the the challenges to our joys are many, and many times we don't even understand how others are experiencing those challenges. But you see, all that's hidden here in just a few words, as Paul writes this way. Uh, now, how much concern did Paul have for the church in Philippi? Well, how much concern did he have for the believers in general? He writes about that in 2 Corinthians 11. I want to just read two verses because of the way he writes this. It's so, it gets so much to the point. And when you hear how Paul's heart has reached out to other believers, it, it's an example for us, right? Does our heart reach out to other believers this way also, or is it so limited, perhaps? Um, so Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 27. He says, In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in watchings and prayer, right? In hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, Beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. That which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches, right? That was Paul's life desire, that the churches, that the members, that the believers, the body of Christ would be built up and strengthened and learn to rejoice because of their eternal perspective, their eternal hope. So Paul's joy was mingled with sorrows and many burdens, but uh, nevertheless, the joy of the Lord must dominate. Otherwise, we're off track, right, and missing out on what the Lord has for us. Now, he, he goes on here 
Now, and now he's going to say more about Timothy. So he wants to send Timothy, but what about Timothy? Uh, and it's right here where we learn as much about Timothy as we could learn anywhere uh, in these letters that Paul has written. In fact, what he learned, what we learn right here is something about Timothy you can't really learn uh, anywhere else, perhaps. But let's read about that. Linda, would you please read for us Philippians chapter 2, verses 20, 21, and 22. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things that are Jesus Christ. But you know the proof of him that, as a son with the Father, he has served with me in the gospel. Okay, thank you, Linda. Well, you might think that this is simply... um, hyperbole in other words you know sometimes things are overstated in order to make a point i mean paul is not uh, a lawyer he's not before the judge trying to defend his friend right this is a letter to people who actually know timothy probably better than anyone in the world knows him Maybe better than Paul knows him, because for some time, Timothy has been ministering to the Philippians. He's left there, and and he's come, it seems, uh, to Rome. So, the Philippians know Timothy. And uh, keep that in mind when you read these words. He says, I have no man like-minded, well, like-minded meaning like-minded like himself. Okay, I think is what he's saying. Uh, they know his, they know Paul's concern for them. He's been writing about it a lot, and he's the one who founded the church and, and taught them up in the truth of God, right, and grace. So they know Paul. But he says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. So um, many might say they care, they might even act like it, right? <laughs> but they may not truly care with uh, a spiritual care that's of God, right? So he says here in verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. Hmm. I think the implication is that there are false teachers about that have caused problems, okay? And uh, many times they're the ones that, that take leadership, right? And, and so you see that this in the community of believers today, right? There are so many that have taken leadership positions who are unworthy in teaching false doctrine, but uh, so it's always been. It's always been exactly like that, right? Satan will uh, use those he can to lead astray the saints. Uh, And so Paul says, all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ. He means the others. I'm talking, he says about how different Timothy is and how he truly does care for you. So I want to send him because he can be a great blessing. Now, they already know a lot about him. So in verse 22, he underscores that. He says, but you know the proof of him that as a son with the father, he had served with me in the gospel. So uh, Timothy was a benefit to Paul, even in Philippi, he indicates here. 
And certainly in Rome, that's been the case. So, so Timothy is set forth here as an example. And uh, I think that's uh, something that fits perfectly in with the overall structure of the whole letter. Remember, there are four examples, four different examples in the letter. There's Christ himself. There's the Apostle Paul. There's Timothy. And then there's Epaphroditus. We'll look at that one next time, right? Uh, they're all examples for the Philippians in, in their self-sacrificial uh, devotion to the Lord God and to their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And they're examples to others and they're lights in the darkness. And uh, the whole letter to the Philippians uh, revolves around those four points, really. And we're seeing that as we go ahead here, verse by verse. Uh, why does uh, Paul recommend Timothy so highly here? Um, even so highly that we, we kind of uh, back away from the words and wonder how he could be so sincere in this. But uh, he is. I think it's it's appropriate that he holds Timothy so highly because anyone who sacrifices himself for the sake of others truly, you know, with true Christian love, should be honored and uh, held high, right? Now, that singles that person out, and some, some do not like that. They think that Paul shouldn't have honored Timothy like this because in so honoring Timothy, he's, in, a, in, in essence, putting down everyone else, right? Well, you know what? Uh, <laughs> the Lord God always draws lines, too, right? And uh, the time will come when at the judgment, uh, and this is true at the judgment seat of Christ, and it's also true at the great white throne judgment for uh, for those that are unsaved. But uh, the, the Lord God will draw the line. Some will be on the one side, some will be on the other, right? What side you're on makes all the difference at that time, right? So is it not, therefore, appropriate to draw lines while we're still here uh, in this life? And, and I think it is uh, certainly appropriate. And so Paul singles out Timothy here because of his great service to him and also to them. So that's, uh, I think, um, where we are when we get to the last couple of verses here. And uh, those last two verses that I'll ask Lisa to read, uh, again, emphasize very strongly the uh, importance of fellowship with the brethren. The benefit that is one to the other. We might think that it's only, <laughs> maybe we think, uh, we might think we're the ones that on the receiving end and somebody else is on the giving end. But if you ask them, they'd probably say they were on the receiving end, too. So it's mutual benefit to get together with the brethren. Okay, so verses 23 and 24. Lisa, please read those for us. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently, so soon as I shall now see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. Thank you, Lisa. So, in just a few words, Paul is explaining the situation. 
He wants to send Timothy. That's the desire of his heart. He's holding back, however. There's a delay. Why? He says, so that I will see how it will go with me. Okay? Now, he could send Timothy right then, and then, then the believers in Philippi would have no way to know what happened. In fact, I think they would be in great anxiety, thinking that everything had turned for the worse, right? In fact, even Paul's martyrdom was a possibility, right? Um, and they would have no way to know. But he's saying, I'm holding back Timothy just long enough that we'll know how it's going to go because there are indications that the decisions will be made soon. Uh, notice that he's hopeful regarding that decision. He says, I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly, you see. And I just think it's a, it's it's really so personal and so precious to see how Paul writes this letter to these beloved believers, right? Uh, in so few words, there's so much power, and it's the power of God and it's the power of grace being communicated here. The value of personal fellowship is really great. That's what he's saying. Uh, and the Lord provides the one for the other in the body of Christ that we might be a blessing one to another. And that's certainly a major theme in Paul's letters, and it's a major theme here. Well, <laughs> that Paul was so confident might surprise us. Um, and we don't know if there was a quick decision. We don't know if Paul was right or not, and we don't know how long it took for him to actually send Timothy but uh, in any case, uh, his confidence is communicated through these words in a special way. And, and I, I think that the level of his confidence, not in Rome, not in Roman authorities, but in the Lord God, is what should be communicated here to us today, right? Uh, you remember back in chapter 1, uh, these words were written, chapter 1. Remember now, this is a letter, right? When they had this letter read to them, one minute later, after, just before, one minute before, the words we just read were these other words read. So this is very much on their minds. Philippians chapter 1, verse 19. I know that this shelter, meaning your prayers, <clears throat> and all, all that the Lord is doing, will turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also, Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Oh, what, what, what an amazing level of confidence Paul had. Well, how does that relate to us? Do we have that level of confidence <laughs> that the Lord's hand is so powerfully upon us 
I mean, we often feel sidelined, right? Cut off, uh, separate, alone. I'm thinking of the work of the Lord, right? I mean, you may not feel alone in certain respects, um, but you may. You may have considerable sorrow over the lack of fellowship, for example, the lack of true fellowship, and many of us suffer that uh, concern and uh, suffer in that way every day, right? Um, the truth of God cuts both ways, right? If you live godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution, right? Those that you thought were friends will be no longer. Those that you thought were uh, <laughs> were dear to you may find themselves separating and you feel uh, left behind, right? And wondering, what is the Lord doing here, right? Why are we not surrounded by those that love the Lord, right? It seems like that should be uh, what God would want to accomplish, and yet we find just the opposite often, right? So uh, Paul's level of um, confidence, his hope uh, in the work of God in his own life personally uh, is so great here. He's in prison. Think about it. <laughs> in this case, it's house arrest, but still, could be worse. It will be worse eventually when he's actually uh, in, in the uh, Capitoline prison there uh, just before his martyrdom, right? But uh, he, he is uh, bound with a chain, right? <laughs> Imagine being bound to a, to a guard, Perhaps a centurion, even I don't know, but uh, imagine being bound four feet from one uh, all the time, right? And yet that's the circumstance where Paul rejoices, right, in the Lord and writes such wonderful things as we're reading here. So I think its uh, ability uh, to influence us and uh, to share. His joy with us through these words is very, very great. That's the whole purpose of the letter, right? Um, will the power of God's word here be met with a proper response in each of us? That's the question. Well, what does Paul write? In the words we looked at today, he says, It is God that worketh in us. Well, I hope that strikes a chord with you. Is it God who's working in you? You may think that the, the days and, and, and hours are burdened so great where how could the Lord work there, right? That might be the thought of your heart and the questioning. But, but what Paul is saying is that it is God that worketh in us. And I don't think he means only in himself. So surely he doesn't. It's made very clear here. He's talking about the Philippians, right? Well, we're like the Philippians, and it is God that works in us. So we see that rejoicing together is always appropriate. Our joy on this earth is challenged greatly, yes, indeed, by circumstances and by the enemy of our souls, right? But Timothy's example of self-sacrifice is a powerful one for us as well. And so let's take every opportunity 
for fellowship with the brethren. And uh, don't forget, the challenges we face in this life are nothing to be compared with the joy that we shall have when Christ shall call us into heaven's glory. Right? Nothing to be compared. In fact, <laughs> Romans 8.18 says this so clearly. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So, I challenge you to enjoy the Lord and his abundant grace always. Now, there's a hymn. There's a hymn we we know um, and sing together on occasion, right? It's entitled, It Will Be Worth It All. This was written not that long ago, only in 1940, right? But it became very popular and many uh, know it. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small. When we see Jesus, when we see Christ, one glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So, bravely run the race till we see Christ. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So, bravely run the race till we see Christ. Well, what a blessing to know that precious, precious truth. Well, are you uh, ready to share and to give testimony? I hope some will. <laughs> this is uh, the wonderful message from Philippians set before us today. Does anyone want to add anything? Patty put up her hand. I can see her hand. So. Well, I think it's just important to always remember that Satan, God's enemy, and his many demons throughout the earth and the population, they want to rob us of our joy. Hmm. And um, what better way to rob us of our joy than to uh, steal our minds and our hearts away from these precious truths that... Um, there have always been just a small remnant of the people of God on the earth. But um, we can rejoice together and encourage one another. And one day there will be a great rejoicing in the very presence of God himself. So I'm very encouraged as I read these words and think about the uh, circumstances of the Apostle Paul and these believers and um those who served with him at great personal sacrifice like Timothy. Amen. <clears throat> I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to mention the same thing, but forgot. But you remembered, and that's how uh, the enemy wants to steal away our joy. Mm -hmm. And when he succeeds in that, the power of God is not communicated through us, right? Mm -hmm. If we're lights in the world our joy will be manifest mm -hmm. to all around us, right? And that it's our joy in Christ. Mm -hmm. Okay, very important. I was just going to say, 
Well, I was going to say, I always seem to lose much of my joy when my faith starts to falter. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Y- yes, exactly. The, that yeah, goes as I, you know, faith grows weak, then I, I'm not, the joy goes with it. <laughs> right. It does, doesn't it? <laughs> right. Yeah, it's all based on our faith, yes. And, and of course, that means that our hope is real. And it's what's motivating us, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, any other comments before we close today in prayer? Okay, let's, uh, let's go to the Lord. Father, Father God, we do rejoice. We know not what the future will bring. Paul didn't really know either, but he was confident nevertheless. And Father, we are confident because we know your good hand always rests upon us. So, Father, may these words be an encouragement today, and may we be lights holding forth the word of truth. May our faith not falter, but be strengthened. May our words be pure and our love real. And, uh, Father, we would thank you in Christ's name. And amen, amen, amen.